Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. At the 15, at the 10, at the 5, still going. Look at the goal. Line. Bullseye! It's a Buffalo touchdown! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bullseye, the UB Bulls football podcast. This is Kyrie Demos, and I'm joined by a very special guest today, Jonah Bronstein, who does some coverage for the Bulls with Greater Niagara Newspapers and the Niagara Gazette. How's it going, Jonah? Yeah, happy to be here with you, Kyrie. Yeah, I've covered UB football since Turner Gill's first season in 2006 uh, for the Niagara Gazette. And we used to have a few more papers then. We still have the Lockport Union Sun and Journal and a Greater Niagara Newspapers group. Most definitely. I, obviously, I know a little bit about them myself, too, um, being from Lockport and having written for the paper for two years. So, you know, just like you said, going to, being able to cover the team for so many years, you know, dating back to 06, you know, just thinking about what this team could possibly be. How do you think they stack up against some of those teams of the past? You know, I think there's a lot remains to be seen with, with the coaching staff and the makeup of this roster group, even though a lot of it, a lot of players have returned from last season when uh, you could argue that the 2020 season might have been the best team UB's had in this modern era of being a Division One program. Uh, even the year before that was a very successful team, the way they finished that and the first two bowl victories in school history the past two seasons. Mm-hmm. And a good number, uh, about six starters on each side of the ball and a few other players that with starting experience are back. But it's a whole new coaching staff, all new systems. And there has been a lot of turnover with a few transfers, Jared Patterson going into the pros. So there's a lot. I could see a very high ceiling for this team, but it's really hard to define what that is uh, until we get to see him on the field as opposed to had Lance Leipold stayed here. And at one point coming out of the spring, it was looking like it could be maybe 20 returning starters. And that would have been a lot easier to say this team is going to look a lot like what we saw them at the end of last year. Now there's a much... uh, greater unknown dynamic going on with this group, which could be good and it could be not good. And we'll figure that out as the season progresses. No doubt. I totally agree. You know, just thinking about, um, I, I think the, the 08 team, 2013 team, and, you know, obviously 18, 19, 20, those teams kind of stand alone on on their own. But like you mentioned, 2020, that team last year was just amazing. Obviously being able to get the first AP ranking in program history and being able to finish six and one and, you know, winning another bowl game, like you mentioned, you know, it's, it's nice to see that there are some power positions that are having um, players return like quarterback and Kyle Van Trees, running back Kevin Marks and, you know, Jake Fusak switching over to left tackle. And obviously a guy like Taylor Riggins coming over and you have a transfer like, um, or coming back, my apologies, from injury. And then a guy like um, Jamarcus Ingram coming over from Texas Tech. But like you mentioned as well, a lot of unknowns. And, you know, that plays into what I was going to ask you next. You know, personally, I feel one of the biggest question marks of the team is, you know, what the offensive line is going to look like. After especially, I think it's one thing to replace an offensive line, but to think what the, the dominance that the program has had with the offensive line um, over the last two seasons. I believe it's only 10 sacks in the last two seasons combined. Um, only one or two last season. So just thinking about that, you know, what is, what's the biggest question mark that you have coming into this season? Well, I think the biggest question mark is really who's going to start and how good the, uh, the players can be at the three positions where they're replacing starters. Mm-hmm. So you got Jake Fusak at right tackle, 
and Jack Clank at right guard. Uh, aside from that, it was looking like uh, you know Mike Nowitzki was going to return at center, uh, and they, uh, forgetting the left guard name, um, who that would have been, Jacob Gall would have yes. been at the left guard, and then the only position they would have had to replace is Coyote Awasika. Mm-hmm. Now there are three open positions, yes. so it's that's one of those unknowns. First of all, not even certain who will be starting at those positions at this point in training camp and whether they will be as effective as the players that left and also continuity, which is something that uh, Buffalo offensive line has enjoyed for several years, even when they had to replace starters, mm-hmm. was replacing with the guys who were generally the primary backups that got uh, some snaps and especially in practice, worked with the first-team offensive line during practice the year before and through the spring. So in years past, when they had to replace maybe four starters on the offensive line, I think that's what they had between 2018 and 19 yeah. or something like that. There was still continuity that is going to be missing a little bit. You're also talking about a new offensive line coach and possibly different blocking schemes. I don't know how much different they will be, mm-hmm. but they probably won't be exactly the same. So there could be a learning curve a bit, even if the talent level is the same. And even if by the end of the season, the offensive line is performing very well. It, it might take a few weeks into the season for them to get to their peak level. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's all very, you know, things that all need to be considered just because the offensive line, more so than any group, is, I mean, obviously I know this, haven't played um, at the college football level, but, you know, just thinking about how much of a unit the offensive line is, you know, whether it's you have four, you know, great starters, but one guy that might be, you know, holding everybody down that's going to stand out more so than if you have uh one corner or one member of the defensive secondary that's holding you back you know i think it's you know it's really so much more of a unison thing so like you said it's going to be interesting to see especially with you know matt stansfield taking over as the line coach james o'hagan being back here with the program as a um, ga now so you know it's going to be interesting but just flipping over to the defensive side of the ball just thinking about coach mode in general for him his prowess as a defensive-minded um, coach. Just thoughts on what he'll be able to bring to that side of the ball, especially with some of the guys that are coming in as transfers and some of those returning starters. Yeah, well, uh, Bolinguist was uh, an assistant coach here, as you've probably gone over in previous podcasts, but in one of the better seasons in UB history, 2013, one of the better defensive teams that UB has had, and mm-hmm. he coached the defensive backs. So there's a lot to like, especially with his history coaching in the NFL and the Power Five conferences. You really do think he's going to bring a level of expertise to the defense, along with the assistant coaches that he's brought in, have a, a good amount of experience on that side of the ball. They also bring back some really important pieces talent-wise. James Patterson has been a key linebacker and one of the best players on this team going back several years. And with his brother, Jarek, going to the NFL, James is still here. And really, you know, he had a very good junior season last year but prior to that he had had some injuries in his first couple seasons so this is a opportunity for him to flourish in a full season with a non-conference schedule and not the type of restrictions that we saw last year and really get to see why he was actually uh, the more heavily recruited of the Patterson brothers coming in and when they signed both of the Pattersons it was James Patterson that most of the recruiting analysts and people like that were excited about. There's also a player, Keith Wetzel, that had come in from Division One AA and was supposed to be a key part of the defense last year. We got hurt in training camp. He's going to be back and healthy this season. I think he'll bring a lot to the defensive side of the ball. Taylor Riggins, you mentioned him earlier. He's a player who was an All-Mac caliber player. He made the All-Mac team two years ago, missed last season with an injury. He's back, and that kind of helps 
alleviate the loss of Malcolm Kuntz, who was the top pass rusher last year. And Buffalo, through different coaching staffs, through different uh, generations of players, has had really good edge rushers going back to when you played here and even before that. Yeah. And I think Taylor Riggins has already established himself as one of those players in that lineage, but now gets a senior season to really uh, bring his best game to the table at that position. Just so many different names um, throughout UB's history that, like you said, stood out on the edge. And, you know, just talking about Taylor Riggins, he's going to have some help alongside, alongside, alongside of him with some of the guys brought over from the transfer portal. Just thoughts on, you know, what some of those guys can listen to. Because, obviously, the transfer portal is something that's been um, the last few years. Guys over. Just, just so many different names that are coming over now, and, and it's really a not the norm because you know, this has been something that's been the last few years. But just think about being um, maybe being in a place where they can attract talent like that from the future. Just thoughts on being able to see some of those names coming in. Well, you know, I mean, in some ways it's going to be a cop out answer because I don't really know a whole lot about these players yes. coming in and transferring. But at the same time, I haven't covered this program for a number of years and transfers have evolved in the way that. UB uses them, and really every school in the country is more reliant on transferring transfer portal, if you will, than they were years ago. However, I've seen, because, you know, players transferred in from big schools, from junior colleges before, and it's really difficult to, or I should say, it's easy to just say this player came from, this player came from the Big 12, he's going to be a really good Mac player. Sometimes that's the case, sometimes it's not. Sometimes those players have issues this is more the case without a new coaching staff. Sometimes players have difficulty beating out the incumbent players because they don't know the playbook as well. They don't fit with the teammates as well. And so chemistry and continuity can work against a transfer coming in. Sometimes a transfer, um, and I think this is less of the case now because there's more transfers, but it used to be when a player transferred, there was a reason they transferred. True. And sometimes that could be um, that they didn't, enjoy their experience playing football quite as much as the previous school, and that carries over. They don't always get that second rebirth of their second school. Sometimes they do. So I think um, with the number of transfers that Buffalo's brought in, I do think you're going to see some of them get on the field and make a big impact for Buffalo. But I'm not sure you'll see all of them uh, perform to the way that you would expect just based on the name of the school that they come from because there's a lot of different variables. I do think one thing that really helps with whether it's the junior college transfers or um, the grad transfers especially is bringing in older and experienced players because the players that left uh, for the most part were veteran players and if you have to replace them with freshmen or younger recruits, you just get younger and less experienced. And so even if not everybody is a star performer on the field, if the transfers can just bring some experience and veteran savvy into the locker room that was lost with the departing transfers, yeah. I think that will be a positive for Buffalo and especially with a first year coach trying to build a culture with older established players. For sure. And I'm glad you brought that up because going back to the first point you made about, you know, seeing the big school, hey, Texas Tech, hey, Texas A&M, um, you know, just seeing that these kids are coming from power five schools. Yes, automatically people are naturally going to think, okay, this guy's going to be an impact player at UB. But at the same time, too, like you said, why did they transfer? But also, too, I think even, you know, going off of your second point, I think it's important to be able to see a program like UB 
you know, that is, yes, on the rise, but a program that is a little bit in transition. You know, obviously having to go from Coach Leipold to Coach Linguist such a short manner to be able to bring some guys in, not only, like you said, talking about filling in the shoes for some of the guys that graduated, but some of those guys that transferred um, with Coach Leipold and even just left the program, whatever the case is. So, you know, I think, you know, that's important to be able to see some of those names stepping in because even if they aren't impact players necessarily, just the fact that they're bringing veteran leadership and depth um, I think are two key things because, you know, it's a long season. We we know that, you know, hey, the lineup we see come September 2nd against Wagner might not be this one we see, you know, closing out the season. So, you know, I think that's something that's very important to know. And it's all very individual with transfers. I mean, you know, Taylor Riggins is a guy who transferred. He's a Rochester player from Aquinas that went to UMass for a little while and transferred to Buffalo from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can get really good players in the transfer portal. In fact, everybody in the transfer portal probably has some degree of talent to why there's teams that want them after they go into that portal. Yeah. But I just know, you know, in addition to covering UB for the Gazette, I've written the preview for Athlon Sports the last few years. And there would be different players in the offseason that uh, Coach Leipold's staff had recruited uh, transfers, and you would pencil them in, okay, this person's coming from a, Power five program, they're definitely going to fill this void setting a linebacker or this hole they might have on the offensive line. And it didn't always play out that way. And there were different reasons. Sometimes a player would commit to transfer and then not actually come. Sometimes there would be academic reasons or injury reasons why they would redshirt. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, I think you see this across all sports where a transfer maybe needs a year to integrate into the program before they then really make that impact on the field or on the court depending on what sport they would be. Mm-hmm. so And some of them come in and are just that damn good that they, uh, you know, are the best player at their position right away. So there's a lot of different reasons why a player transfers, and there's a lot of different applications and scenarios that could play out once that player gets into that new program. For sure. All righty, just, just moving ahead now with everything, Jonah, just thinking about, you know, where UB is as a program and, you know, just being able to stack it up as, as they have over the last handful of years. Just thoughts on, you know, what you think, you know, will be most important to be able to see the success that Coach Slypold really um, developed over the last handful of seasons. And for it to be that, I don't want to say seamless transition because, you know, none of this stuff is seamless. There's obviously a lot of work that's gets, that gets put into this. But to be able to keep that that winning culture and that winning mentality, just the progress that UB has made, what do you think Coach Slypold's staff really needs to focus on um, to be able to keep that going? Well, I think that, they're doing a very good job now in instilling a culture and, and communication. It seems like there's a lot of energy and enthusiasm around the program, both from alumni players, uh, many of them who knew Coach Linguist and had played for him uh, when he was an assistant here under Jeff Quinn in 2012 and 2013, but even some alumni players that preceded that or played in the interim. Uh, everybody that seems to have known Coach Linguist or met him um, is a fan of his, or at least a fan of the hire and think that he's the right person for this job. And you see that trickle down with a lot of his assistants and the culture and the communication and the enthusiasm all seems to be something that a UB fan should be encouraged by. However, as far as results on the field, I don't think you can expect a seamless transition right. unless the new coaching staff is going to come in and say, we're going to do everything the same as the previous staff did and then make our changes next spring and next offseason. And I don't think 
uh, just talking to Mo and the different things he said to the press, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. It does seem like they're installing new offense, new defense, new system, new terminology, new culture, just a new way of doing things. And so it can't be seamless. Right. E- even with the same, even if Kyle Van Trees is still the starting quarterback and Kevin Marks has all this experience running the ball and there's different starters on both sides of the ball, they're not going to be asked to do the same things in the same way at the same time with the same teammates to the right and their left. So there's going to be a lot of adjustments mm-hmm. and it could not affect Buffalo and whether they win games and how good they are because other teams are making transitions as well and they have diff- different players and some have different coaches. However, the continuity that could have been in place yes. if the coaching staff had stayed and if all the players had stayed, it was an incredible amount of carryover and continuity that this program had the potential to keep in play. Jared Patterson and Kadofi Wright, I mean, I'm sorry, James Patterson and Malcolm Coons and Coyote Awasika going to the NFL were almost the only players, Antonio Nunn, yes. that left from last year's team. And then there were a lot of players like Taylor Riggins and Akri Washington who were returning starters that didn't start last year because of injuries and things like that. Now you're not in that position where you have almost the whole team back running the same plays and almost to where last season, where they ended the season ranked 25th in the country, that was almost a preseason for this season, it yeah. seemed like, in a way. Now, that's not the case anymore. This is a whole new season with a lot of familiar faces, but a lot of new faces at the top and new elements of the program to where the continuity won't be the same. But that doesn't mean that they can't win without with that break in continuity. It's just going to be different, and it could take some time. You might not see uh, the results right away. Mm-hmm that show up later in the season. Most definitely. And I'm just glad that, you know, Coach Linguist is in a place where he he actually was able to, because just thinking of where he was at to come in such a short period of time after Coach Leipold left, and to think that, you know, the amount of guys that left, but for him to turn around, bring some transfers in, you know, have some of the recruits that he brought in for the 2021 or the 2022 and 2023 classes. Um, it, I mean, it really seems as though, like, I know he had a short period of time. But he's already hit the ground running. Um, and that's hopeful. And like you said, I don't think there's we shouldn't a- anticipate, you know, things to just be business as usual. There's going to be bumps in the road. That's just how the, the nature of this business goes. But at the same time, too, you know, I'm encouraged because I think. He's already, like you said, established a culture, shown that, you know, there's a standard that he wants these guys to play for. I mean, let's face it, this is a guy coming from Power Five and NFL roots. You know, yes, he did have his his moments here, too. So I think that that even emboldens him that much more. But just knowing that the road has been very traveled for him when it comes to his football life, um, I think he's a guy that, you know, shown has shown a commitment to recruiting, but also just building the student-athlete from the ground up. Um, you know, so I'm just excited to see. I think, you know, for him to come back, you know, hoping and praying that he's not, you know, looking at this as a stopgap, but you never know. But at the same time, too, I think this is for him to come back to this program. I just think it means a lot to him. Yeah. And Coach Linguist's background, he's been at a lot of different programs at a lot of different levels. And he calls himself a Division two coach because yes. that's where he started. But he's also coached in the NFL and in the Power Five and in the MAC before. Yeah among other different places and different jobs and different positions. And he's moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that he's had to adjust to different schemes and techniques and ways of doing things and different cultures, different head coaches that he's worked for, which could really help him 
integrate his new program with different players and returning players. Um, it could allow him to adjust his systems to the talent that's here. It also could help him uh, bring along new players that are having trouble adjusting. It isn't a my way. I only do it this way. I've always coached a certain way. I, I learned under a, a specific coach, and this is how I do it. He's been in different programs and different systems, and that should allow him to have a malleable system that would help the players that were here. On the other hand, Lance Leipold came from having coached in Division Three and done very well, and he brought a lot of his coaches from Wisconsin-Whitewater with him, and they did a lot of things at Buffalo very similar to the way they did at Wisconsin-Whitewater, and that worked very well, and especially worked as the years went by. The most impressive thing I think that uh, Lance Leipold did here was that the program just seemed to keep getting better year after year, and even when the recruiting classes weren't rated that highly, it just seemed like they were bringing in more and more players uh, that helped the program and were ready to compete and help them right away. Mm -hmm. And they would bring players in that also were brought along slowly. Mm -hmm. A lot of times players would leave and the player that came up behind them would be just as good or even better. There'd be quote unquote, no names filling in yeah. when certain guys got injured, you wouldn't really notice the drop off. And so I think having that set system that works, it works for a lot of coaches and it worked for Lance Lightbolt here. Uh, Molinguist has to figure out, you know, what that system is here and how much flexibility there needs to be in the first year and how much he needs to establish his system and his culture and have the players adjust to that. For sure. And just going off that, I think, you know, like you mentioned with Coach Leipold, some one of the things that stands out about that or his situation is just the fact that might, some of those recruiting classes might not have been rated highly, but those were really his guys. Those were his recruits, his style of player, and they fit his mold. So, and I think that's, I mean, most coaches will tell you, most people will tell you that takes you even farther above and, and um, than talent will. And, you know, obviously when it comes to Division One football, we can see, you know, what the power five schools are and what the group of five schools are. But at the same time too, those group of five schools that stand out every year, yeah, they have some talent, but it's because they, they have that chemistry and nine times out of 10 it's because the coaching staff is able to bring in guys that really fit to what the style that they want to play. So I think that's going to be the key. Lance Leopold and the staff had a real knack for finding somewhat under-recruited players that they saw growth potential in. And they might not have been rated as high. And when the recruiting class was ranked, it, it was usually near the bottom of the MAC, except for this most recent recruiting class. It was really the first time that Lance Leipold's staff had brought in a group that had a lot of three- and four-star guys in it. Um, but they were very good at finding those players that after maybe a redshirt year and sitting on the bench for a year or two, would develop into the player that they wanted them to be. And it's pretty much, you know, almost everybody that was a contributor last year, even Jared Patterson yeah. was, I think, six on the depth chart when they came in and they weren't really expecting a whole lot out of him. And he played his way into the best freshman season that UB running back has ever had and then parlayed that into even better sophomore and junior seasons. I do think just from looking at, you know, the star ratings and things like that, it does look like uh, Molinguist and his staff are uh, – recruiting a little bit, not better players, but a little bit more of recruiting wins and not as much of the under-recruited player that they want to develop. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're going to have the player development is a huge part of, of building a program no matter who you recruit, but it does seem like the philosophy might have changed a little bit, and that yeah. could lead to you be taking an even bigger step because of an increased talent level, yeah. but it could also you could lose some of that special sauce that really made 
these last light pole teams great and that yeah. they were sort of a lot of underdogs with chips on their shoulder that had to work their way into being better players and that carried out on the field and made Buffalo a very, you know, tough team to beat in the MAC mm-hmm. for, for years of going back multiple years. For sure. I think even just um, thinking about, you know, some of those guys that, that Coach Linguist has, has been bringing in, a, a targeting even, say, I'll say, um, it goes into just his experience too. Like the places he's coached, coaching at Texas A&M and being a Baylor guy, you know, coaching at Minnesota, Iowa State, Mississippi State, all these places all around the country where, you know, obviously a group of five is one thing, but having to outbid other group of five schools is a whole nother process. So I think that might even be where some of that influence comes from with, you know, going after some of those bigger names. You know, like you said, hopefully, you know, that those guys on the character end too are living up to that same stature that, you know, some of these guys who are more grinders naturally who might, like you said, might've been slept on. You know, it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, and I think the toughest thing about it is that first year, it's hard to really see that. Um, so, you know, it's really just going to be baby steps. We'll be seeing, um, how the foundation is laid this year and, you know, hopefully leads to more wins, but, you know, at the same time too, we, we just got to see how things shake out. It is, I would say, encouraging because usually when there's a coaching change and some established players that either left for the NFL early, as Jared Patterson did, or transferred, it usually puts a program in a hole where you say this is a rebuilding period and they're going to have to take their lumps and get some recruiting wins and build the roster back up. And that's not really the case. This is still a strong Mac roster talent-wise, even with the players that left and Maybe these grad transfers that were brought in will be perfect fits and seamless replacements for players that transferred out. So it's it, in that sense, it's very good that a coaching change was made and it doesn't really seem like much change in terms of where Buffalo is in the pecking order in the MAC. Maybe they're not picked as the favorite in the same way that they would have been if everybody came back, but they're still considered one of the better teams in the league, even in the transition. But it, it, for somebody from the outside, I think it's it's very easy for the fans to look at it and think everything's great. Yeah. Uh, you love the way Mo Lingus talks. You like his energy and enthusiasm and his culture. And you can look at his background and some of the different players that have come in and say everything's going to be great. Buffalo's still going to be the champions of the MAC, even though they didn't win the championship of the regular season, the best team in the league, uh, nationally ranked. And you really got to wait and see how things play out on the field because uh, not to knock – Moling was specifically or any coach really, but you don't see the weaknesses, I think, in a coaching hire right away. No. You see the strengths. Yeah. Um and, and later on is when you start to see whether there's any blind spots in the game day coaching or the way they prepare for games or recruiting or retaining players, developing players, things like that. And and I don't know if any of those things are going to be weaknesses. Maybe this staff has all of that taken care of. But that'll play out over time and you'll see after the fact whether there's anything missing or anything that really needs to be addressed and worked on next off season. We won't really see that going into the season, but if it's there, we'll see it at the end of the season. Most definitely. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out. You know, like, like we said, you know, year one is really ground zero. Um, but to think that, like you said, it's a program that is not necessarily going back to a bare cupboard, even in a, you know, a year one scenario for, for coach linguist. So, 
you know, we'll be, we'll definitely be tuning in. And uh, I think it will still be an exciting brand of football to check in with. But, and I'm most interested in seeing big picture wise how the success that Buffalo had last year, mm-hmm. having the undefeated regular season, yeah. going into the MAC championship game, winning a bowl game for a second straight year, yep. bringing a lot of these players back. But there were no fans in attendance last year. Right. And how much pent-up demand is there from the fan base. Buffalo's had some good teams over there. They haven't always had good crowds and good fan support. Some of that's been hit or miss. Now, how much of the success that they had last year will energize the fan base to coming out to the games and being there? They got some. They got an intriguing schedule. They have yeah. a home game against Coastal Carolina, which was another team that was ranked last year. That could be a very uh, exciting game happening on uh, UB Stadium later this year. They have a road game at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a winnable game. Uh, which maybe in years past you couldn't say that, but you can say that now. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how much that excites the fan base if they can get um, fans not just to show up but for, stay for the whole game because yeah. that hasn't always been the case, especially with the student fans. When the weather turns and they start playing in the middle of the week on those weeknights, can you get big crowds? Can you get a lot of attention when the Bills are also playing well? Because that really does kind of suck all the air out of the room sometimes. Yeah. But with the success that you had it was very interesting to watch them have such a great season last year, but with the fans not being allowed to go to the games, and they could go watch the games at the drive-through, but it was a little bit different. Yeah. So I, I just wonder, and if they don't have a good season, it'll be a little bit of a missed opportunity from a fan entertainment standpoint. But uh, if they have similar success than they had last year, I'm most interested in seeing how much that resonates with the fan base and how much excitement is around the program now that fans can come back to the games and interact with the team more so than they were able to during last year in the pandemic season. For sure. Isn't it crazy to think we've got the Bills and the Bulls both being successful teams at the same time? Well, yeah. I mean, it hasn't happened. In There's been a lot of years where both were unsuccessful. Right. And there's been some years where one team was successful and one team wasn't. It's been a long time, if, if I can remember any time. Although I do think... So Turner Gill's team that won the MAC championship in 2008. I yes. think the Bills got off to a good start in that year. Four no started five and one. That's when the Trent Edwards concussion came. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, you know it is interesting, uh, but I do wonder if that somewhat obscures uh, UB's success when the Bills are as good as they were last year and could be this year. That sometimes um, it's hard to go out and tailgate for a game on Saturday and then turn around and tailgate for a game on Sunday. True. I think a lot of weekends that UB has a home football game, the Bills are on the road, so maybe that helps them. But it, it is kind of maybe fun from a sports fan perspective to see both teams doing good. But I don't know if there's always the space in uh, the sports fans diet for both teams to be good. Sometimes they cannibalize each other a little bit. Maybe it helps that the Sabres are terrible and nobody wants to pay attention to them. <laughs> that always that always throws things off. I know the Bandits, uh, they've done their thing, but you know, hey, this is really football and hockey town, so we'll see how it goes. But, you know, uh, just first off, thanks again, Jonah, for joining me. It's been, you know, been trying to get you on for a little bit now, so I'm thankful we were able to coordinate this, and, um, you know, it's going to be exciting to see what UB does this season. Obviously, just thinking about the, you know, Naaman Roosevelt, James Starks team to Max team that I got to play on in 13 and in 13. And then just these last three Bulls teams, you know, it's been a lot of success. So, you know, we're just hoping to see you carry over. So, yeah, it's been a fun program to cover going back to Turner Hills 
years and with uh, some of the success they had with Jeff Quinn and Khalil Mack and Brandon Oliver and those guys. And it was a lot of fun to see this team have success under Lance Leipold and then sustain it, not go from a bowl season to a losing season right after that. And, you know, as a reporter, I don't really root for the team to uh, win or lose, but this program is a lot more relevant and worth covering when they're winning. And when they're not, Mac football in this market doesn't resonate with the readers and the audience when the team's not very good. So pro sports stopping short of rooting for UB to win, you do root for them to be a successful and relevant program because it's not like the NFL where even when the Bills are bad, that's newsworthy and worth writing stories about. Yeah. Uh, this Buffalo team doesn't need to win to have stories written about them, but there's a lot more stories to write when they're winning and when they're doing well. No doubt. So hopefully they can keep it going. Alrighty, guys. For Jonah, this is Kyrie Demos signing off from UB from the UB Bulls podcast. Um, take care and we'll see you guys soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.